The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, and a very warm welcome to Squawk Box. What are we? Thursday morning, Karen Cho's here, Jeff Cutmore's here, and I'm here, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. So the Fed hints it could be, just could be, the end of the rate hiking cycle as Chairman Jerome Powell announces the central bank's 10th consecutive rate hike. There's a sense that we're, we're that, you know, we're much closer to the end of this than to the beginning, that, you know, as I mentioned, if you, if you add up all the tightening that's going on through various channels, it's, we, we feel like we, you know, we're getting closer or, or maybe even there. But in the banking sector, look at that. PacWest Bancorp shares down 52.5% in extended trade. But it does confirm, though, this U.S. regional lender, that it's exploring strategic asset sales, but insists deposits are stable after what I think we can say was a horror session in extended trade. 25 or 50, that's the question facing ECB policymakers today as the central bank prepares to hike rates for the seventh straight meeting. Airbus warns of supply chain issues but reiterates its production targets as the French plane maker posts a smaller than forecast decline in core earnings. And Qualcomm shares slide over 6% in extended trade on weak smartphone demand as the semiconductor designer gives late, lighter than expected sales guidance. story, old anecdote about someone who keeps uh, asking for a fiver, getting turned down and then asking for $50 instead. But you already turned you down for a $5, so why would I give you 50 And I think the market stopped giving up. It's, it's, it stopped asking for $50, i.e. it wants rate cuts and is now just happy for $5. And I think that's what it got yesterday. It got, well, there may be a pause uh, rather than a cut because let's face it, the market still wants the cuts in the second half of the year. But I'm not sure they're going to get what they want as well. Uh, And are we looking in the right place for where the next moves on? I'll give you a little example of that when I look at the markets in a moment. But the raw facts are this. The Federal Reserve has raised interest rates by 25 basis points as expected, taking the Fed funds rate to a range of 5 to 5.25%. Fed Chair Jerome Powell said the committee would pivot to making decisions on a meeting-by-meeting basis. I thought they already were. Anyway, this apparently is opening the door to a pause because the language changed a bit, didn't it? However, he pushed back on expectations, as I say, for a rate cut this year, saying such a move was unlikely. The unanimous decision amongst policymakers marks the 10th consecutive rate increase in just over a year. Mr Powell addressed the reason behind the shift in policy language in his post-decision press conference. A decision on a pause was not made today. We're saying that in determining the extent to which additional policy firming may be appropriate to return inflation at 2% over time, the committee will take into account certain factors. So we, that's, a, that's a meaningful change that we, we're no longer saying that we anticipate. And uh, so we'll be driven by incoming data, meeting by meeting, and uh, you know, we'll approach that question at the June meeting. But the thing is, he doesn't see a recession. Look at this. This is the 10, by the way. Look at this. 25, 50, 75. All oh, the 75s. And then the last one was 25. But the point is, the markets, and I'll just whiz over back to the markets now as well. 
the markets are interpreted this, and, and look, we're down across the board because they didn't get anything more affirmative about cuts in the second half, but they got what they wanted. They got the 25 they expected. They hope there'll be a pause in June, and that seems to be on the cards at the moment. But while you lot were all looking over here at what Powell had to say, I was actually looking at the data because apparently we're data driven, and that's what I did. And did you see the data yesterday? Because if you were looking at it, you saw a really solid economy despite 10. 10 rate hikes in a row. Look what you saw yesterday. ADP, way better than expected. This is a private job survey as well. Services composite PMIs, strong, 53.6. That's the highest level since April last year. You'd have seen the ISM index as well, up to 51.9 from 51.2. Again, moving in a northerly direction as well. So doesn't that make tomorrow's payroll data even more enticing as well? Because you may get your pause in June, but if you don't get a recession, you don't get worse data, and you don't see a meaningful drop-off uh, in job availability, and I know you were looking at the jolts when I was in Geneva, but I had to look at them too, uh, and the fact of the matter is, you're not going to get your cut on that data. Not at the moment. Here's what the US markets did, as I say. For the week, though, I'll just give you very briefly, uh, the S&P is down 1.9%, the Nasdaq down 1.7%. Move on to Treasuries. Let's have a quick look at where they're trading as well. 3.8 at the short end. I mean, what was that a couple of weeks ago on the two-year? 4.2. It's come off aggressively as well, so that's interesting. And here, look, the 10-year down to 3.337. A lot of decimals today. I did put in oil into this opening run because I wanted to show you what has happened this week. Oil is down aggressively. The subsector of energy in the stocks in the United States is down 7.3%. We've got Shell coming in, in 55 minutes as well. 7% lower for the week. And that is fascinating. And you know I've got a bugbear about how the analysts have been so, so wrong on this one. So wrong as well. What are the Saudis going to do? They're going to cut again? And look at this. This is interesting. WTI is back into do we refill the SPR territory? Remember all those people having to go at Biden? Oh, you've missed it. You've missed your chance to refill the SPR below 70. Very, very interesting there. And Brent down to 72.87. I saw it with a 71 handle yesterday. A lot of analysts licking their wounds got it very, very badly wrong. I was reading one of the commentaries from one of the big US investment banks, so I get a lot of these into my work, and they're like, yeah, we, we, we kind of got this wrong. Now, but if that means that they got it wrong because there's less demand out there, where's the bang for the buck for the global economy on what the Chinese are doing, uh, on what the US economy is doing at the moment? Just a lot less demand out there. That's, they got that bit wrong, haven't they, so far? So far. Anyway, the big banks from yesterday, I mentioned PacWest in the headlines as well. I mean, extraordinary move after hours, and that's not shown in this one, I don't believe, no. But this is what the big US banks did yesterday, anyway, uh, coming off roundly across the board. But PacWest, what a story, Mr. Cutmore. Good morning to you. Yeah, very good morning. Looking refreshed after our Alpine jaunt. Yeah, absolutely. That was fun, wasn't it? It really was, actually. Um, but it's funny, isn't it? It got that's fun you... after you left as well. Did it? All kinds of panellists dropping and arriving. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have uh, upped your work rate, wouldn't it? Just a little bit. Yeah, just, 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 <laughs> just a tad. But it's, uh, it's funny, that, isn't it? Um, well, you know these panels, you get, you get your guests given to you three yeah. weeks before. And, and let's be honest about it. It's always like, well, we've got you Elvis. We've got you, you know, we've got you, we've got you Gandhi. We've got you, we've got you all the greats, you know. Teresa's we, yeah, we, yeah, we've got you. And, and then you end up with like, I don't know. Oh God, I don't want to be derogatory. None of those people. <laughs> no, you don't get. Teresa, yeah, 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 relative they, they, to they, Gandhi. Yeah. The panel's going to be amazing. We're going to get the top, and then you end up. Ooh, I didn't prep that one. Yeah. <laughs> Although I would say the guests were great, they actually, were. by and large. In case anybody's tuning in from Geneva. <laughs> no, no, morning. no, they were great. They just weren't what I expected. No. 
Uh, let's move on and let's let's talk about this PacWest story then. Shares in PacWest fell more than 50% in extended trade. The uh, regional bank has now confirmed it's been approached by several investors and is exploring a planned sale of strategic assets, including $2.7 billion in lender finance loans. The company says its cash and available liquidity remains, quote, solid and exceeds its unsecured deposits. Concerns over the state of the banking sector bled into other regional bank stocks with Western Alliance dropping over 20% in extended trade along with declines in Valley National and Comerica. CNBC Steve Leisman asked Jay Powell to comment on the banking turmoil. I think in this particular case we have found that uh, the monetary policy tools and the financial stability tools are not in conflict. They're both they're working well together. We've used our our uh, financial stability tools to support banks through our lending facilities. And um, at the same time, we've been able to uh, use our monetary policy tools to foster maximum employment and price stability. Well, Stephen Blitz joins us, Chief U.S. Economist at T.S. Lombard. And Stephen, good to have you with us this morning. Look, I would have, I would have started with the Fed, but at 9.30 Los Angeles time, PacWest put out a detailed statement trying to reassure the markets that it does have options here on in. Now, I know that this is a, this is a Los Angeles-based bank, but is there, is there such a thing as a Hollywood ending for PacWest here, Stephen, or what do you think unfolds next? Um, they will either, either the FDIC will sell them or they'll sell themselves. And I think uh, at this stage, they'll probably look to sell themselves. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, the unspoken part of this, um, which I don't think gets enough play, while we're all focused on the banks and this is all, obviously reminiscent of 2008, there's a reason why these are all California banks as opposed to banks in Nebraska or Kansas. I mean, there's small banks all over the country. Uh, and that's their tie to the tech sector. And it's a slow implosion of the tech sector that's not just laying off and feeling strains within the sector itself, but it's extending into the financial sector. And those tensions are uh, and drains the deposits as these firms are having a difficult time in terms of raising cash and their burn rate and all that kind of stuff uh, is exposing the fissures of the problems of the asset mismanagement of assets on the part of these banks. So it's a banking problem, but it's also a tech sector problem. And that's and the dance between the two plus inventories will lead us to a recession uh, mid year. And that's why this was probably the last, my view, it was the last uh, Fed rate hike. Stephen, but many are watching just how the Fed now is having a tango with the financial system about regulation, but still dealing with inflation. And the view is that there's still multiple scenarios. The fact we didn't get this pause from the Fed in explicit language there means that the door is still open for rate hikes. Uh, what we see on the, the pricing on bond markets on derivatives is that we've got a fairly sizable rate coming by the end of the year. These scenarios are very wide when it comes to markets trying to position assets around the scenario for monetary policy yeah and look he's he, if he came out today and said he was absolutely going to pause in six weeks then the question had to be why are you hiking today right so i mean he he had he, he, there's no there's no way he could 
deliver a hike and not retain a certain amount of optionality uh, in terms of uh, cutting, uh, of uh, you know, hiking or having the option to hike rates six weeks from now if the data tells them so. And look, this is my view, but just because I say it doesn't mean it's so. And if the economy somehow, this is not enough to put spend the economy into recession, and we start to see an uptick in growth later this year, and we start to see a reacceleration of inflation, if you look at five and a quarter funds rate against current core PCE numbers year over year or over the last quarter, rates aren't really high enough yet in real terms for the broad economy. And it wouldn't shock me to see six and a half percent a year from now. But again, I don't think that's going to happen because I think we will be in recession. Um, but I suppose that's why he wants to sustain a, a certain optionality. Even. I'm looking at the data. This is what we've all been told to do, be data driven. And I'm looking at it and I'm looking at mortgage applications. And I'm looking at service sector PMIs and ISM index uh, and the ADP. And you know what? Things aren't actually as bad as I was told they would be after 10 consecutive rate hikes. Rates could go where potentially in your scenario where they have to go higher? Well, you're right. And I think that's and I think it, people are saying, well, gee, they've, they've raised 500 basis points, but inflation was 8%. And even a very liberalized version of uh, the Taylor rule uh, gets you to at least a 6.5% funds rate. So money's not really tight from a, from a broad economic standpoint. Uh, and, but if you look inside the ADP numbers, for example, you see third, fourth month in a row that white collar employment has declined. And, you know, this is higher income workers. Uh, you look at re real retail sales for discretionary items, and they have declined in, uh, in uh, four of the last five months. You look at the February and March data uh, in the first quarter, and those were negative. So there's a lot of things inside this data that, tell you that the economy is slowly starting to uh, evolve or devolve more correctly into recession. But if it manages not to, to your point, 6.5% would be my target. And I think the Fed, and, and when people focus on this 500 basis points, the only sectors of the economy that are real, and it's not that they're small, but that have really been affected by this are those that essentially levered themselves, betting that rates would stay zero forever. Or if they did go up, they wouldn't go up for very much and they wouldn't go for very long. But for the broader economy, um, money's still on the cheaper side unless inflation suddenly falls away uh, down to two. And it will happen, but you need a recession to get there. Stephen, that's a, that's a call and a half. So, so let me take you back to my original question then, which was about the distress that we're seeing in some parts of the banking system at the moment. If, if we see interest rates up at that level and we don't see the banks responding by improving deposit rates, is any money going to be left in the American banking system? Is it all going to be in money market accounts that are parked overnight with the Fed? Um. No, I mean, at a certain point, the, the outflow of deposits will be, uh, 
uh, will reach to the point where suddenly the deposits that are left that have value to the to the banks and the banks will start paying an interest rate on it. Um, what you have, and in, in, in if you look over the last decade, really, you've seen growth in deposits ahead of well ahead of growth in loans, and some of that is regulatory. A lot of that is because you had an uptick in treasury transfers that turned into deposits in part because of what the Fed was doing in terms of QE. And so the banks are sitting there with a lot of uneconomic deposits. A year ago, if you had any CEO from any major bank in the United States and you asked them what their biggest issue was, they would say too many deposits. So Treasury created, in effect, too many deposits losing them to the money funds and let the money funds basically take this money and invest in the treasury market either directly or indirectly through overnight repo with the Fed, uh, it makes much more economic sense. Uh, so, I, no, I don't think the positive flow will go to zero. Uh, it's, it's a little bit tougher for the smaller banks to deal with this outflow because of how they mismanage the asset side of their balance sheet. And, you know, they can't afford to pay for these rents and, I mean, these rates uh, uh, for deposits. But for the larger banks, they've got loan deposit ratios around 60-odd percent. And they haven't been that low since the early 1950s. Right. So they got a lot. They, got, they, they can give away a lot of deposits without feeling it. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us with your views today. Much appreciated. Stephen Blitz with us. Chief U.S. Economist T.S. Lombard. Now, the central bank on our radar today, too. The ECB announces its latest rate decision at 14.15 CET, with market watchers split over whether to expect a 25 or 50 basis point hike. Headline inflation in the eurozone rose to 7% in April, despite the central bank hiking rates by half a point at each of its last six meetings. Core inflation eased unexpectedly, though, to 5.6%, mudding the outlook for the bloc. We've spoken to key policymakers and market voices since the ECB's last decision to get their take on what comes next. What I can see for the moment is that there is still ground to, to cover. Core inflation is too high. I believe we have to do more. But I will not speculate about the next rate hike. The persistence of core inflation is quite definitely one of the elements which will have to be taken into account because core inflation is a great predictor of future headline inflation. But it's not the only part of it which matters. That uh, requires a concerted effort. It means uh, for central banks and for the Euro uh, European Central Bank, it means uh, further tightening is required. And when the terminal rate has been reached, that terminal rate needs to be maintained for longer. And let's get out to Aneta for more. Aneta, the ECB, like other central banks, also served up a tray of sweet and savoury bites here, and it has to digest what to do. What we've effectively got, that uh, Eurozone inflation number, the calls come down, the headline's gone up. PMIs this week showed us that the survey data was weak, particularly on the manufacturing side. And just the absolute uh, corker, I think, for some of the markets this week was around the lending, that we've seen this tightness in credit right back to what we had in the height of the Eurozone debt crisis back in what uh, 2011. So effectively some weakening signals coming through for the ECB to contend with. 
Yes, exactly. I think that's a fair summary of what the ECB is actually looking at today. So on the one hand side, of course, we're seeing at least headline inflation uh, still on the rise, but core inflation. And if you look at the drivers of core inflation, I think that's really crucial, uh, crucial because especially that we are seeing food prices coming down at least slightly for the first time since June last year is should be a positive sign for policymakers inside the ECB because clearly food prices um, are major concern to the ECB. Energy, for example, they can't really control, but also energy prices are coming down. So I guess, of course, the inflation rate as such is still far too high and a lot higher than a policymaker wanted to be. But there are early signs that core inflation is actually coming back. There could be more pressure on the uh, inflation rate, though, coming through higher wage settlements. So that is what the ECB, of course, is looking at as well, very crucially. But at the same time, we have that bank lending survey, which shows drastically the effect of monetary policy. Normally, uh, economists do say that the effect of monetary policy do need roughly a year to actually filter through the economy through the transmission channels until um, <clears throat> there is actually a, a real effect on the inflation rate uh, through lower consumer demand, through lower demand as such. And that is exactly what we are seeing in that bank lending survey now, because the demand for loans even is um, yeah came back as much as the last time during the financial crisis. So that is a very big sign that consumers are scaling back their demand for loans because of higher interest rates, of course. And that is the main reason the ECB is also citing in that bank lending survey. At the same time, 27% of questions banked do say that they have tightened their credit um, restrictions, their <clears throat> Um, their criteria. So that is a, a substantial move into tightening. So I guess uh, if you look at both of these uh, elements, most likely we're going to see the ECB scaling back their pace of, in, of hiking to 25 basis points. Some economists do even say this will probably be one more step and then we are going to see one more further step in terms of hiking and then the ECB could be done in their hiking cycle given the adverse effects we are seeing on uh, economic growth and also that inflation is have has first tentative signs to actually come back. So these are the big two elements. Of course, another uh, elephant in the room is that the ECB could move into accelerating their quantitative tightening, so the scaling back of the balance sheet that could actually be announced today, but they could also wait uh, until June because the current program or the current, at least, the guidance is uh, running out only in July, so there's still a little bit of time for them to discuss how fast this pace could be, because clearly that is a critical issue, especially the periphery, the so-called doves are not in favor of hiking that pace too much because they're concerned that this could also mean that their yields could spike, especially, the uh, especially in the periphery, if quantitative tightening would be accelerated uh, really substantially. So I guess we have loads of loads of elements to discuss today during today's session. But one thing is clear: uh, the ECB most likely will yet yeah, sort of scale back the pace of tightening, but still will insist that inflation is far too high and that they keep on tightening their monetary policy stance.
Annetta, thank you very much for giving us a, such a detailed run through of uh, what's ahead today. And you can follow our ECB coverage from 1400 CET. Don't miss Decision Time with Germana and Juliana. Uh, we're going to talk supply chain, Snarlup's way on Airbus earnings. We'll have the details in just a few moments and... For more on the Fed decision as well as the latest market action, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back. Qualcomm shares fell in extended trade after the company forecasts revenue and profit below expectations for the current quarter, down 6.5%. As you can see on the screen, if you're watching the screen, which you should be, uh, the chip makers, well, unless you're brushing your teeth or something, of course, and just listening to the show, uh, the chip maker said slower demand for smartphones will mean companies take longer to use excess chips before making new orders. The CEO, uh, Cristiano Amon, uh, said the U.S. firm is not seeing signs of smartphone demand recovering in China. Wow, that's amazing. Another signal that the China recovery isn't quite what everyone hoped it would be. Anyway, the group signaled uh, that it sees global handset sales falling between 5 and 10% this year. That is huge. Global handsets falling 5 to 10%. On another day, I'll get Karen talking about this, but we're busy. Uh, Airbus posted a near 40% fall in the first quarter core earnings, but still beat expectations. The plane maker said supply chain issues continued to weigh on production, but backed its financial targets and production goals for the full year. Charlotte has more. Charlotte, why on earth? Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Nice Good. to see you. Why on earth have we still got supply chain issues? Well, it, it continues, but look, it's interesting to look at Airbus because for once you have a company that has the demand. The demand is there. They yeah. have a backlog of order of 7,000 planes. Uh, they're just struggling to meet uh, the demand and they say they try to recover and go back to the production level that they had before the pandemic remember before the pandemic they produced 860 planes that they delivered in 2019 well now the target is 720 they're really trying to come back it's uh, the smaller suppliers you know it's a mere it's a constellation of uh, thousands of small suppliers some right. of them are struggling to get a bit staffing so is, as well is that part of the problem I it is part a, of the a problem. constellation of small suppliers yeah, maybe we need it, to make a bit more concentration on that front well, potentially, um, and staffing. They did get rid of 15,000 people during the pandemic, and now they tried to hire 13,000 people just this year worldwide. So, yeah. I know we've got to move on. Finding the right engineers oh, is tough. I, I haven't got time to talk to you about it because we've got so much queued up on the show, but we'll do that one another time. Uh, is that it for Charlotte? Do you want to move on? You want to move on. Sorry. Oh, you've got more. Okay. I did have more, but... Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> I just know we've got loads of stuff queued up. Okay. Um, no, so revenue uh, below with the number that I had last year, but the good news was that they did uh, confirm some of the targets so they did deliver they did confirm that they will uh, keep the target of 720 planes for this year they reconfirm also the, the production ramp up of their best-seller plane the 8320 so they're targeting 65 by the end of 24 from 45 currently so that's sticking to all these targets that they had given before they said the second assembly line in Tianjin that they announced during prison 
President Macron's trip to China will help them meet uh, that production ramp up and also reconfirm the financial targets that they had given in February, again, of that 720 planes to be delivered this year and uh, a bit adjusted of 6 billion euros for this year. So they only announced that the freighter jet, the A350, will be pushed into the beginning of 2025 because of the supply chain issues, but they have kept all these targets. What does that, that say? Yes, sure. about comedy, general writing. <laughs> just That's for the shares. Yeah, 12%, yeah, to, yeah. 12. To date. Oh, yeah, good. Because they, 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 I just wondered about those. Because they've, they've doubled the what Boeing have done this year, up 5.5%. Interesting, always looking at the pair. Well, they did have a bit more time because now they've got some results. And now they're, they're going to break them with, with, with gusto as well. Thank you for everything. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.